You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Mark Willard, and this is Inside Giant Moments, presented by T-Mobile, an official San Francisco Giants podcast. In Season 1, we looked back at some of the most iconic moments in franchise history, Now, it's time to focus on the present and future. We'll cover memorable wins and the off-field moments, interests, and personalities of the 2021 Giants team and staff. Join us for Season 2 of Inside Giant Moments, now. Time for our second installment of talking to the people who talk to the Giants. The beat writers almost seem like members of the team themselves. We caught up with two of them for this episode as they take you behind the scenes of their gig, how it's changed through COVID, and what they really think of the great start for the 2021 Giants. First up, the one in her first year. Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle is no stranger to the baseball beat, but this is year one covering the Giants. I'm really excited about this conversation. I want to get into the background a little bit. How did you end up here? I know you've worked in Dallas, Orlando, a number of places, but with your Northern California roots, was the Bay Area always the goal? Yeah, you know, I I grew up in Alameda and Monterey, uh, and I wanted to be a baseball broadcaster from a very early age, starting from when I lived in Alameda and the A's won the World Series in 72, 73, 74 when I was uh, in elementary school. And, um, you know, that's that's what I wanted to do forever and ever. So um, when I came out of college uh, in 1988, I, I had done football broadcast at Stanford. I was a color person, weirdly enough, on the uh, Stanford College Station football broadcast. Uh, and I did uh, baseball, including two uh, College World Series championships for Stanford. But Nobody was looking for women to do uh, even minor league play-by-play at that point. Right. So I had a job offer in hand at the Sacramento Bee to cover them because I'd worked at the Stanford Daily, obviously, throughout. I'm not sure I actually went to school when I was there. Um, but I did cover <laughs> a lot of sports for a lot of outlets. So, um, so yeah, so I went to the Sacramento Bee, and it was kind of off to the races. I was there for six years, and I covered a ton of baseball. I was the backup baseball writer there for four years. And those were some good A's teams also and Giants teams. And then I went to Orlando to cover the Magic, and then I went to the Dallas, Dallas to cover the Rangers for two years, and then I came back and obviously covered the A's for 20-plus years. Uh, I, I think uh, this will be <laughs> kind of fun to dive into. You, so you said you're early to mid-'70s. Uh, there you are early on, elementary. You identify you want to be a baseball broadcaster. I'm imagining you yep. got some funny reactions to that. How, how was that idea received? That's funny. You know, I, um, I was one of, I think, the few probably small girls who did a Howard Cosell impersonation. Um, and that, that I do remember that that killed at my parents' parties. And yes. I, don't, I don't think I really understand quite how probably ridiculous that was. But I did do it when I was, I was lucky enough to go to a high school that had a radio station. And when I got to, uh, in fact, the year before high school, I went to a summer camp at that school. And uh, the person, the, the teacher that was in charge of the radio station, I, I did that pretty awful Howard Cosell impersonation. He was like, yeah, we got to get you on the air right away. So, <laughs> um, so I did I did broadcast all the way through high school, too. So, yeah, it's uh, 
oh well, I'm stuck writing now, but I'm talking to you. So it's like the yes, same you're fantastic with it, and and it begs the question: What do I need to do right now to get you to do the Howard Cosell impersonation today? Oh gosh, I have not done it for so long. I don't. I'd probably, you probably have to like ply me with lots of whiskey or something, but maybe someday. <laughs> someday that'll be a different version of the podcast, but uh, we'd have to do a video version for sure. Um, year one with the Giants. How's it going? How's it different than the A's? Uh, it has been a blast. You know, I was apprehensive because obviously I covered the A's for so long, and I, anybody that's changed jobs can understand how you know doing something for that long uh, and having so much fondness for the people over there in Oakland too. Uh, everybody with the team, the fan base, everything. Uh, you know, they, everybody treated me just wonderfully for a very long time. So I did have apprehension, apprehension, but I have to say. Everybody with the Giants is just as nice. The fan base has been incredibly welcoming. And here this team is, and they're very, very good. I had an inkling that they would keep it interesting this year, but I certainly would have joined everyone else in thinking that the Dodgers and the Padres were going to be the class of the division. That still might happen, and they're right there. They're half a step behind the Giants. It's going to be fun all the way. But this is an... This is a very good Giants team. So uh, I, I have nothing to complain about except for Zooms. And that's starting to change. We're going to start to be able to get some limited on-field access. I'll be back on the road uh, starting with the next road trip, so in Arizona and L.A. next week. Uh, so getting a little bit closer to what a baseball beat should be, which is full travel and clubhouse access and talking to guys and getting fans all the information that they need to know. I want to get into that with you here in a little bit because I especially think first year on the job without being in the clubhouse has got to be incredibly challenging on some level. So put that aside for a second and and we'll definitely get to that. But I also want to ask you about what I think is an incredibly interesting story and a very decorated career so far. First female to ever be president of the BBWAA. What, What did that mean to you? It meant a ton. And I, you know, when people think of the BBWAA, I think most people know that uh, it's the body that votes for the postseason awards. The baseball writers uh, actually own those awards. They instituted them. It's not a major, major league baseball has nothing to do with a Cy Young or the MVP. Those are all actually owned and uh, developed by the baseball writers. Uh, and of course, the Hall of Fame vote, which the Hall of Fame very kindly bestowed to the baseball writers, uh, you know, like a hundred some years ago. Um, So those are the things people think about, and that's kind of the glitzy stuff. But what the BBWAA actually is, is essentially a workplace um, advocacy group. And we make sure that there is adequate access, which has been obviously especially important this past year or two. We we are often involved in talks with the league and talks with the unions. Um, We will, uh, and already have, I've been involved in some of the talks with unions about the next CBA and um, ensuring that there's continued good access for writers, Uh, not just newspaper writers. uh, Those, um, the BBWA includes a lot of online outlets and uh, everybody that uh, you're speaking to is all, uh, everyone is a member of the BBWAA. Mm -hmm. Um, And good press boxes. When I was the president, one of the main issues was that uh, Anaheim did one of those things where they moved their their beautiful old press box, uh, the writer's box, way down the line into like basically a luxury suite. You couldn't see anything. It's outside the foul pole. We couldn't see home plate. 
Uh, and we, I advocated very strongly to get us at least back a very tiny bare bones, uh, like it was like extension cords, like a, like wooden desks and stuff behind home plate in the broadcast level where everybody's crammed in. And it's at least, at least you can see the plate. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's that kind of stuff. And so it does, it means a ton to me. It's, it's looking out for all of us to make sure that we can do our jobs to the best of our abilities. That's amazing. And now here, here it's normalcy uh, for you guys to be dodging foul balls right behind home plate every game. I know. I can't. I definitely cannot complain about San Francisco. Um, yeah. There are still a few really, really good press boxes left, uh, and that is right up there with uh, Baltimore uh, at, at the top of the list for sure. Uh, also California Sports Writer of the Year alongside Ann Killian, first to receive that honor out of a beat writer position which made me curious, why, why hasn't it been a beat writer before or, or maybe what are the challenges associated with achieving that honor from that position? <laughs> you know what, it's funny. Um, you ask any beat writer, we all get kind of um, a little sensitive sometimes about stuff like this because yeah. there are a lot of national awards that are called like beat writer of the year awards. And then you look and the people that are being honored uh, are often feature writers or yes. national writers, not not people that cover actual beats every day. Um, and that's aggravating. The glitzy positions in sports writing are obviously columnists. They're the opinion people. And it should be. Those people are stars and they do something I could not do. They have opinions. They they write it well. They get people talking. Um, you know, they actually can create change. Look at my colleague, Ann Killian, who's the best in the business. What she did covering Stanford, getting rid of so many sports, uh, certainly helped get those sports back. And, um, you know, that's, that's just amazing. So people like national writers and columnists always have the far more visible jobs. And uh, people are, you know, talking. They get sent to the big events. You know, I can't compete with um, somebody that is covering the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup Finals and the World Series. You know, I'm just not going to have those clips. And a lot of times it just goes to, you know, somebody who's, um, you know, written a lot of columns about whoever has won X title that year. So it is pretty unusual. And beat writers are just kind of we're kind of the grunts. Um, (laughs) Almost every it's true i mean it's great i love my job and i wouldn't want to do anything else i absolutely love it but beat writers don't get a lot of respect except within the um the industry from people like national writers and columnists they've usually been beat writers for a year or two hated it said like this is too much work it's too much travel uh you know you have to deal with a lot especially baseball Base- the baseball beat is it's it's an incredible grind i love it but it's not for everybody so sorry to go off on a rant but yeah no, uh, I... we, we get a little defensive uh, <laughs> beat so it is it's, i obviously i was stunned it's very unusual for for a beat writer uh who is not a, a, like a national type you know, like a, a national football writer or something like that to uh, to get noticed. Well, I think this is really interesting for baseball fans to hear about, actually, because what you're bringing up, you know, the columnist shows up at a Giants or an A's game when it's cool to show up to a Giants or an A's game. <laughs> you, you guys have got to be at every game. You've got to be at everything, even when maybe what's going on isn't the big thing that everyone's talking about. So what what are the difficulties that come with that? 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely for sure. And I have to say that's um, one thing I always thought with covering the A's through the San Francisco paper. There were a lot of years the A's are at, were, I mean, they're competitive almost every year. But there were a lot of years that the A's were better than, say, the Giants. And it's still we still weren't seeing a lot of columnists or national writers or other papers or, you know, met, um, broadcast media coming out because the Giants, you know, tend to be the bigger story, even in a year where they're not quite as good. And that, that can be frustrating for anybody covering a sort of a secondary team in the market. Uh, but, yeah, the columnists, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, they can only cover so much. We've got three columnists at the Chronicle. They're all fantastic. But right now, you know, there's NBA playoffs going on. Uh, Amp had all this Stanford stuff going on. There's, you know, there's tons of things. So Giants Dodgers going on this weekend, it's, you know, I'm like, we got to get somebody out there and, and it's, it might not, it might not happen this time of year. There's so huh. much happening. They, they can't cover everything. Right. But I will say one of my favorite things is because they come out, you know, it's a little hit and miss and the, the really great columnists when they can, if they write a story, ripping a team or ripping a player will come back out the next day and be there and be accountable. They don't always, but I've seen general managers or managers or whoever. Um, they're so much more comfortable with their beat guy, right? Cause they see them every day, but I've seen them and I've had this happen to me too, get aired out for something. The columnist wrote, wrote with the columnist standing like 10 or 12 feet away. You're like, no, no, no. Like it, they wrote that, you know, they wrote that. Go talk to them. They're like, well, no, I know you. So I'm going to yell at you instead. Right. So. <laughs> you're all representing the same outlet. So you're all guilty. <laughs> right. Right. Oh goodness. All right. Who's uh, who's a better writer? You or your husband? Oh, he's so much better. He's, I mean, he's just an absolute talent. It's very aggravating. I, you know, I'm kind of like the, I'm kind of the dogged reporter and I, you know, I, I like, um, you know, I enjoy breaking news and being on top of things like that. But when you, if you need like, especially a good tearjerker written or something that really takes like a lot of touch or, or something funny, uh, he's your guy. Cause uh, he, he's, he's as good as it gets certainly in the Bay area when it comes to actual writing talent. Uh, I bet he'd say the same thing about you though. No, no, he would say I'm the better reporter. I would think he is probably what he would say, um, which is fine. It's fine. It's it's kind of unusual to to have somebody that is like uh, top notch at both of those things. Those people are absolute superstars. We have a few of those in right. in the Bay Area. Uh, my predecessor Henry Shulman, I think, was um, right up there and uh, with with being an absolute ace reporter and writer. And um, certainly there are other outlets that have them. But I'm going to say I'm the re- I'm the reporter. And Dan's a good reporter and a great writer. And I'm an okay writer and a and a pretty good reporter. I think you're doing pretty good. But uh, but uh, fair enough. Um, all right. Your first year on the Giants beat, you referenced this earlier. You've not been in the clubhouse yet. How how has this mm-hmm. affected your job? Yeah, I still feel like I really don't know anybody um, on the the current big league roster. You know, I've only ever talked to any of them by Zoom. Uh, you know, Posey Crawford, I've probably gotten in groups before uh, in person, but they, they certainly, you know, they don't know me. Um, it's really, really weird. Uh, baseball writers, you know, you get to really know the teams during spring training, you know, in the clubhouse and just chit-chatting with guys, getting to know them, writing feature stories, and we haven't had that. So even if we do wind up with clubhouse access at some point this season, which I, I certainly hope we do, but I, I wouldn't necessarily bet on it, um, 
you know, it's it's not going to quite be the same because we have not had that time. Once the season starts, um, particularly in some of the nicer clubhouses where there are lots of places to hide, you don't really get guys congregating even in the clubhouse. Uh, that wasn't the case with the A's. <laughs> you could pretty much find most of the A's in the clubhouse at any given time just because they don't have one of those deluxe clubhouses. But I've been in the Giants clubhouse before, and, and it can be slim picking sometimes. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to next spring training and hoping that uh, there's – I hope there – A, I hope there is a good CBA for next year. Yeah. Uh, B, I hope our access hasn't changed, and I hope I get to meet some guys and get to know them at that point. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. So let, let, let's let's kind of go there, in our minds at least. If you could get into the clubhouse right now, who, who's the first guy you're approaching and what are you asking? Oh, I don't even know where to start. There's just so many guys. Um, I, you know – I have so much respect and regard for all the the veterans on that staff, uh, and I enjoy talking to them so much. The fact that, you know, especially Crawford's local, um, and he's – I said this on Twitter the other day. This is just a little bit of an aside, but, you know, I I know um, from having followed from a distance and seen him in interleague play, et cetera, and some postseasons, he's a a superior shortstop. But, my goodness, when you watch him play every day, it is an absolute joy – so, um, you know, he's a guy who would obviously would be very high on my list, but almost everybody. I love talking about pitching. I love talking about hitting. I even love, you know, I love talking to those coaches about those things. So, um, you know, anybody and everybody, really, the clubhouse attendants. I always love getting to know everybody out yep. there. And, we, like, we can't, we can't do anything, like anything. But some of, some of my best baseball conversations have been with, like, the equipment manager, the, um, you know, the equipment guys, it's, it's, uh, everybody's got some, an interesting story to share. It, it would be a fun year to do it, especially, I think it always is, but it's such a, uh, a thoughtful approach. I think, it, you know, there, there's a real depth to what's going on with this particular staff and regime and, and a real sort of, you know, obviously an analytical way of, of approaching baseball. So I, do you agree with that? It might be even maybe a little bit more interesting, more storylines this year than normal. Yeah, I mean, this is the, this is what was promised, you know, with a, right. a especially you know with the offense, um, the deep at bats, um, good, good work in the count, uh, all of that kind of stuff. But some of that's analytics. Some of that is just uh, you know that that's my money ball that's the lot the eight yeah. teams i covered that's what they were looking to do get the starting pitcher out of the game as fast as possible move the line along all of that that's good baseball but you're right they you know they are getting a lot of really good information and applying it also uh some of those things are showing up defensively you know um with the shifts uh but especially what they're doing with pitchers and the free agent pitchers who've been coming over in particular, um, working with them on shaping pitches. That's kind of the hot new phrase, but essentially honing, honing their pitches, getting them uh, to be as good as they can, making sure they are hitting their spots in the right spot with the right stuff. And then their usage, um, you know, that they've got an awful lot of data that is going to show them, you know, what a guy should be throwing more of. And in most cases, this kind of makes sense too, right? They want guys throwing their best pitch more, even if it's a secondary pitch, not necessarily the fastball. Um, they've had some sort of mixed success with that, but 
Look at God. Look at Di Sclafani. Look at what Smiley did with them. They are getting such a good reputation. And I think that's where really a lot of the advanced metrics and some of the other um, data that they're looking at, um, some of the video, that's really helping them. And the reputation they're getting for that is, is off the charts. Uh, all right, Susan, uh, also with your first year on the job, how are the other beat writers treating you? And is it true that you all have a, a big connected text chain with one another? Uh, well, we do. That's, but that's really, um, you know, that's uh, a function of the PR department needing to get all of us at once in this day and age of, yep. of the Zooms. Um, but, yeah, they. I mean, I've known all of them forever. Um, Mark Sanchez, I had not known before of your wonderful station, and he yep. is absolutely delight, delightful and very funny. So um, that has been a and really one of my favorite things is getting to know Mark. Uh, I'm not. He's the one that if if I if there's something funny during a call, I'll I'll text Mark. I probably <laughs> annoy the heck out of him. In fact, I catch him sometimes on his day off, going like, "Can you believe somebody just said that?" And he'll be like, "I'm off. Like, leave me alone." So yeah, um, but yeah, I've known everybody else forever and ever. So um, it's uh, that's made it great. It's a great. It's such a professional bunch. Experienced, um, smart. Uh, hard workers uh, like I, I absolutely respect the heck out of everybody on this beat and I'm I'm just really great grateful that everybody's been so kind and welcoming and and stuff I'm the newbie right I mean they could be hazing me and so if if they are I have not known I'm too dumb to have figured that out well well they could haze you except for the Giants record is now suddenly through the roof while all of them watched them struggle for the last four years so I feel like you might be able to take some credit for this well, I'm pretty sure that Baggerly and, and Pavlovich has been around for some very good teams. Too, this is so true. I, this... I, uh, I think they could probably hold up a, a lot more on the success, you know, later. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, you made reference to the fact that you thought the Giants maybe would be better than others thought, maybe not this good. To what level are you surprised? Mildly, I would say. Uh, the rotation has been a surprise to me. Uh, you know, it was a little bit, we had some question marks. Um, and then Wood has the back thing during spring training, and that was kind of like, oh, well, here we go. And uh, Sanchez was, you know, obviously he's been on the aisle. They've had a lot of injuries despite all these injuries. Uh, I think every member of essentially the six guys that potentially would be in the rotation, only Gosman and Disclafani have avoided the aisle. Uh, they've been tremendous. They've been absolutely tremendous. So uh, that's that has been the one thing that surprised me. It surprised me a little that they weren't, uh, despite the fact that Longoria was hitting, Buster's been hitting pretty much from the get-go. Um, Crawford's obviously now picking up uh, the pace uh, with the average, and he's been hitting for power uh, most of the year. Uh, you know, they were struggling to score runs a lot, and they play an awful lot of close games. And, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of fortune involved, but a lot of times it's preparation and um, being mistake-free when you're winning as many close games as they as they do. I think all of those are great signs. So uh, I figured they would make it interesting. Uh, it is extremely interesting, uh, but it's still early. It's, uh, you know, late May, uh, maybe a little too early to, to start, uh, saying that, you know, hey, they're the division champs or something. But I, I think we can firmly say they're going to keep it interesting all year. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that leads to the next thought is, is what is your opinion on the sustainability of this right now? Injuries are probably going to determine the division period. 
Um, you look at the Dodgers, they've been decimated. Early in the season, the Padres were missing an awful lot of important people. Um, everybody's dealing with it this year. It's just been an absolute avalanche of guys to the IL for every team and a lot of important guys. Uh, the Giants have had their share, uh, but somehow have managed to keep soldiering on. I don't know, you know, if their depth will allow them to keep doing it. If say they, they lose another starter, if anything really, uh, you know, if somebody really is injured for a sustained time, who's a major piece. So that's going to determine it. If they have full health, they could stick around. I, I see no what I, no reason why they've obviously they've got a very good offensive club um, that I I thought from the start. Uh, the pitching, you know. I don't know if it's necessarily sustainable, but it's certainly good enough to keep them in the race for sure. The bullpen, it's a little hit and miss, but um, they've got some good pieces. And I would expect that at the trade deadline, they're going to go out and add at least a reliever. And I would hope that, you know, they would probably be looking at maybe a veteran starter. So um, there will be more to come. And that could help, you know, determine the course of things too. Who who is it that they're going to add? Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good question at this point. And, uh, you know, we may not quite be there yet. But, I mean, you mentioned the starting pitching. And uh, while while it is raising eyebrows, it also seems to be the theme of the year across baseball. Like starting pitchers, I mean, six no-hitters already, and we're just past the quarter pole as we're sitting here having this conversation. So maybe there's – Maybe there's something a little bit more global about what the Giants rotation is doing rather than just the Giants. What do you think about that? It's possible. I mean, I there's probably, you know, as many opinions as there are national writers and, and baseball experts. Um, you know, we know they changed the ball. They did kind of. Uh, unjuiced it a bit. I think the seams are a little bit more amenable. I, I heard lots of complaints about the seams over the last couple of years. Guys' stuff wasn't playing as well. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. I think the, the, the especially the guys who were having trouble kind of getting some of the action they used to get on the ball are getting that action again. That might be one reason, you know, short season followed by a long season, you know, mass injuries all over. I have no idea. It really, it really, uh, it's, and guys are throwing harder. They're better. Um, but hitters are better than ever, too. So, uh, oh. yeah, uh, I'm giving you the uh, the shrug emoji <laughs> right now. That's, you know, that's all most of us can do uh, when, when we're looking at some of this stuff. Um, I know you're a fan of the job Farhan Zaidi is doing. It's becoming hard not to be. But I wonder where you think that this is headed beyond this year. How, how do you think his plan will evolve over the next few seasons? Well, I think they're probably a little ahead of schedule on where their plan was. They would probably not would not say that. But, hey, look, coming into the season, everyone was going like, look at all the money the Giants have coming off the books after this season. And they've got all these good young players coming, you know, Ramos, eventually Luciano, some, some good pitching. Uh, but uh, who's the be- been the best guys – the Giants have had all year. It's been those veterans, those expensive guys. So, uh, you know, at this point, they've got to consider bringing back certainly Posey. I think they'd be crazy not to. And um, I'd say the same about Crawford uh, if they keep, if they both keep this up. Um, So there goes some of the money off the books, but (laughs) you know, they've, they've got resources. They've certainly got resources and they've got young guys coming. So, um, I would imagine uh, when they do go out and get somebody at the deadline, and I think they will, 
um, the probably target guys who they could keep beyond this season huh. uh, and start from there. But uh, if I'm them, I am talking to Kevin Gosman about something long-term. Yep. And uh, I am picking up a starter who has time left beyond this season, too. Uh, do you think that Farhan, uh, somewhere in a fancy booth, every time Brandon Crawford hits a home run, there's sort of a wry grin as he watches it go over the fence, knowing that, as you said, all the flexibility and all those shortstops – available next year it's doubtful that Crawford was the plan but then how is he not the plan if he's going to play like this yeah I agree I agree and you know what I'm sure Brandon Crawford would probably play for the Giants for at least a little bit less than he might for other teams yes so you know what he might wind up being a little bit of a cost saver if you're going to go out and get, you know, one of those five-star guys. And and they've got some guys coming at that position, too. So uh, it's hard to project. You know, <laughs> Baron DeCoffert might have a career year this year, and then, you know, given his age, it, he might not be quite the same next year. They'd have to take that. They'd be crazy not to take that into consideration. Um, and maybe they do still want to go out and get somebody younger that they could rely on for, say, the next three or four years while they're waiting for Luciano. But um, Lu- Luciano told us he'd be ready next year, so maybe it's even shorter. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and just, just bring Crawford back on a two, two-year deal and an option or something. Uh, I don't know. You know what? Every, every GM slash president of baseball operations or whatever their title is, they are all absolutely thrilled when anyone on the team is performing extremely well. And you know what? When it comes down to it, it's not their money. They really don't care about that much. They want yep. they want the budget, uh, but they'd rather have the team performing well. Uh, all right, Susan, speed round, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna look for some very defined answers here if you're willing to give them to us. Uh, most exciting player on the team. Oh. This is such a good team. It's so fun, man. You're killing me. I, you know, gosh, uh, I mean, it's hard not to say Buster Posey because he is just so rejuvenated and he looks like the young Buster Posey, who is one of the great players of our time. Um, So I'm going to say Posey, but, you know, there are a lot of guys I really enjoy watching. And Dubon is one of of them, partly because he plays a couple different positions. You never know what he's going to do, bad or good. (laughs) And he's kind of got that that electric thing going. I I think he's going to be a good one. Um, You know, he's well coached, obviously, so uh, he's a lot of fun. I'm really – don't make me pick. <laughs> no, Posey's a and great I answer. Love watch, I love watching Tyler Rogers too. Holy okay. Cow. Yeah. No, that that's fair. All right. Who's the best interview on the team? Yeah, Rogers is right up there. Uh, he's very good. Alex Dickerson's really a hoot. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's not a it's a little bit of a button down team. You know, kind of following the Kapler mode, I guess. Um, not huge, huge personalities. But man, do they! And again, I don't these. I don't know any of them, so nobody really should be listening to me whatsoever on this topic. But um, <laughs> they could not be nicer or more accommodating. I've talked to a number of them um, for feature stories, one on one, 
and they're so helpful and uh i just uh, i'm really enjoying it so yeah. uh, again i struggle you know the guys that are really going to know the t-bit personalities are the the other guys i hate to say it but no, but they will no that's fair but you gave us some good picks also all right if you had to pick one minor league player most likely to be a star five years from now who do you go with Luciano, Marco Luciano, Marco okay. Luciano, Luciano. Yeah. <laughs> is that that that's that, it's that easy? I mean, they they got uh, they got a bunch of you know budding stars, if you will, with that San Jose team. Oh, he's got it all. He's you know what? He's a big shortstop who plays like a small infielder. You know, he's got it just moves so naturally. Um, you know, I guess he's really a, potentially spectacular. And um, he's going to swing the bat for sure. And he's got all the confidence. Like I said, he, he was telling us he's going to be in the big leagues next year. Next year. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I, it. They've got a lot of good talent. And there's more coming. But uh, it's hard. He, I watched him the very, starting the very first day of spring training. And uh, he's he was absolutely fun to watch. And it also seems like he has a delightful personality. Of all the specific pitches – that any Giants pitcher throws, which is the most devastating? Man, that's tough. I, you know, I would have. You asked a couple of years ago. I would have would have maybe said said the Cueto change, which I love, and anything he throws. You know, the shimmies and the right. hesitations and and all of that just uh, knock me out. Love it. Um, that splitter that Gosman throws, whew, and that movement he gets on the on it combined with a fastball. I might cheat and say that combo with his fastball and the splitter. Uh, yeah. That's pretty right now. Uh, Sarah Lang said a story the other day talking about um, how they're two of the top four pitches in baseball. So uh, it's really tough not to pitch those, uh, pick those. But um, yeah, they they've, they have a lot of God, a lot of guys throwing a lot of good pitches right now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is true. All right. Here's the most important one. This is, was all leading to this moment, Susan. If you had to leave your cats with one Giants player for a weekend, who are you asking? I can't, I can't remember. I just saw somebody say that they thought they were a cat person when they were young, but it turns out they're a dog person. So not whoever that was. Um, <laughs> man, I don't know any of them. Can I say Andrew Bailey? Because I do know him pretty well. And he oh, sure. He's an sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he likes cats, but he's very—he's a very kind person with a lovely family. So um, I'll say Andrew Bailey. Okay, quick pause to tell you about our sponsor, T-Mobile, one of our favorite partners because of how relevant they are to Giants fans. Because you're never far from McCovey Cove when you've got America's largest and fastest 5G network. In other words, T-Mobile is your ticket to the game, whether you're home or away. The Giants are big league why don't you come on up and join them? Switch to T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Fastest 5G by Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA 5G Experience Report January 2021. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. And now back to Inside Giant Moments. Next up, the guy who is as famous for his time appearing on popular game shows as he is for appearing in the Giants Clubhouse. From The Athletic, it's Andy Baggerly. You have such an interesting backstory. You're one of the few on the Giants beat that had no real ties to the Bay Area when you arrived. So so I'd love to hear that story. How did you originally get here? Well, um, I think I drove up I-5. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not from the Bay Area. My family's from Chicago. I was born in Chicago. I grew up. Uh, we moved to L.A. when I was a kid, so I grew up in kind of the Inland Empire. Um, you know, was a Cubs fan because that was uh, what my family all was. Uh, so I was like the only Cubs fan among my my friends. Uh, so when the Dodgers won the World Series in 1988, everybody was happy, and I was like, "Well, good for you guys." But uh, you know, I, I'm long suffering. I'm never going to see a World Series in my right. lifetime. <laughs> but but I always loved baseball. I always collected baseball cards. You know, played little league, did the whole thing, and 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 wanted to be a broadcaster. And uh, uh, you know, went to school. And and one of my first internships was with uh, a newspaper. And I thought, well, I'll get a little experience you know, get a, a clip file, they call it, and, and, and maybe that'll help me, you know, just be a little more well-rounded. And, and it turned out that, uh, that, like, the second day I was there, they said, okay, you're covering the Laker game. And uh, I was courtside, <laughs> right next to the official score. And I'm wow. like, you know, this is pretty good. I, yeah. I could go, you know, I could go uh, slug it out in the minor leagues for about eight or ten years. And so much respect for the people who take that path. Um, or I thought, you know what, it's it's uh, I could kind of get in, in into – Major the major leagues uh, right away uh, with with the papers. So you know I did preps for a few years and, and worked my way up and um, and uh, it was general assignment. And then I covered the Angels for a couple of years for the Riverside paper, the Dodgers for a couple of years, and then um, yeah, came up to to cover the Giants for the Oakland Tribune, and that was in 2004. And I've been on the Giants beat ever since. Uh, did any Giants fans uh, give you any trouble when you first arrived because you had just come from the Dodger beat? I don't think so because you know there. I, I was with, I was at the Oakland Tribune, and I don't think really people read what I wrote very much. Okay, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the internet was still kind of kind of nascent for uh, you know um, uh, you know everyone reading what everyone's writing. So yeah, I think there were a lot of days when. when I probably didn't get a whole lot of views on my stories. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, I mean, I, I was thinking about when you started this job, social media wasn't much of a thing, and now it's the thing. How has that changed your job through the years? I mean, it just adds a lot of immediacy. And in, in a way, in a way, it kind of takes the pressure off because if you got scooped on a trade or a transaction or a big piece of team news, um, you know, a free agent signing – you know, you, you would it would be like you'd, you'd open up the papers in the morning and, and you'd see who has what, and you'd have to wear it for 24 hours before you could kind of have to sort of tuck tail and follow that news. Whereas now, you know, I, I could I could name any number of big scoops. You know, like uh, the Angels signing Albert Pujols. You know who broke that story? No, nobody remembers. You know, right. I, I remember it was Tim Brown from Yahoo Sports, but. But, you know, in a way, it's the transactional nature of, of, of those scoops. Um, you know, everyone can follow it or confirm it and, and, and publish something on social media within 20 seconds instead of 20 hours. So in, in a way, it kind of takes the pressure off. But, yeah, you know, it, I have to remind myself that I don't get paid uh, to tweet. You know, it really should be what I use as a way to broadcast. Hey, here are links to the things I'm writing, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we all like the echo chamber. We all like to hear our own voice. We all like to put something out there and immediately get feedback from people, even if uh, most of it seems to be kind of, uh, you know, um, banging your head against the wall. So, right. yeah, it's, it's changed the, the job a ton. Uh, you've also watched the Giants go from what was just a strong organization to a championship organization uh th that certainly uh opened up opportunities for you with the two books how how did what the giants did on the field change your job through the years 
Well, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where I always said I take it as it comes. You know, if you cover a team that's really good and is in the postseason and gets to the World Series, you know, there's obviously a lot more engagement. There's a lot more, you know, people paying attention to what you're writing. Um, you know, and if you're doing good work, you get noticed. I mean, that's all that's all good. And plus, there's just a lot better stories to tell, you know, when the team is winning and people are in a good mood. Um, and that's what I always love to, to pride myself on is, is try to give you as much flavor from inside the clubhouse in those areas that fans couldn't get to that we could. Um, so, you know, that that certainly is is great. But you know what? I also saw the positive of, you know, if a team doesn't make the playoffs, then that's an extra month that I don't have to be on 6 a.m. flights you know, like every day. I mean, right. in the postseason, if you cover a team that goes, you know, uh, wins the World Series, you're working every day for like 40 days in a row, and you're probably averaging about three hours of sleep a night. I mean, it, it really is a grind. And so I just said, you know what, I'll just take the positive either way. Either I don't have to work as hard for that month and a half, or, or uh, you know, it'll, I'll, I'll write stuff that's, that people are reading. Uh, Bags, you know this. You're also synonymous with Jeopardy because of your great appearances there, and you were already well-established in the gig when that happened in 2012. How, how would you put all of that into words? Was it life-changing? What, what words would you use? Well, I mean, it was just a great experience. You know, it's something that I've always, I've always loved. I was somebody who, you know, was a weird kid. It was five or six years old, cracking open the World Book encyclopedias and turning to random pages and memory world, memorizing world capitals and stuff like that. So, you know, when, when Jeopardy first came on the air again, I, I remember I was maybe eight or nine years old, and and I just loved it. And uh, um, and you know, tried out a couple of times in my twenties and and passed the test a couple times, but didn't get called. And then, uh, you know, took the test again when it went to the online version. And, um, you know, I had even taken the test in the studio audience, which was a cool experience in the past, but uh, just hadn't hadn't gotten called. And then uh, in 2010, I took the online test. I passed it. And then they called me for uh, an in-person uh, tryout at the Westin St. Francis. They do it kind of regionally. And I tell a, a buddy of mine, hey, you know, I, I made it to the next round. And here's the date. It's November 4th. And he's like, um, do you know that that's game seven of the World Series? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know, the Giants are, are you know, a couple games behind the Padres. They're, they're, you know, this is 2010. Well, what are the odds that they're going to win the division, get to the World <laughs> Series, and get all the way to game seven? So when, when, when Edgar Renteria hit the homer and they won in game five, I was like, thank you. Thank you, thank you. This isn't. I'm not going to have the dilemma of my life. So they, the, we had the parade, and the very next day uh, was was my tryout. And I thought, wow. at least I don't have to take the test again. I'm I'm totally burned out after you know covering the postseason. And the first thing they did was give us another 50 question <laughs> test. But somehow I passed it and, and got on the show in 2012. And it was just I, I was so grateful that I was able to have the interaction with Alex Trebek and. Uh, all the people who worked on the show are fantastic. I got super lucky and won a, won a couple of games uh, and, and was a three-time champion, and, and it's still just a, it's just a great lifelong, lifelong memory. So Dave Fleming's voice uh, famously went up during the, the Renteria home run. Maybe yours was even higher, and we just didn't hear it. <laughs> right. It is gone. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, by the way, true or false, uh, is it true that Jeopardy was not your first game show appearance? Did you go on Card Sharks as a kid? Yeah, I was on Card Sharks, Young People's Week. I was 11 years old. 
I won 200 bucks, a, a Toblerone chocolate bar that's about three feet tall, and uh, you know, a bunch of other parting gifts. So, yeah, that's. Uh, I was just excited because um, you know I, I got 200 bucks. I think I probably invested that in some Greg Jeffries rookie cards that I figured would, would make me rich and famous oh. someday. That didn't quite happen. Wow, perfect. Yeah, that would... <laughs> Oh, man. I loved that show. I loved Card Sharks. That was, uh, that was a great show. Uh, the Jeopardy tie, it also makes sense because I, I think this is evident in your work. You're very smart. You come from this very thoughtful, intelligent place when you write, I think. Uh, however, that's not always um, the way sports fans talk and think. I don't know if it resonates with all sports fans. So has that ever created sort of a, a conflict with, with your content? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that when you when you write, you write for a, an audience, and that audience is generally Giants fans, you know. But within that audience, you have people who are really sabermetrically inclined or people who just really want to hear, you know, personal stories about the players or uh, you know, people who, you know, are, are going to be ticked off at you unless you really, like, drop the hammer on the team because some people just want to read that. Yep. Um, so, you know, you, you try to give everyone something, um, I, I'm kind of lucky at the athletic. I get a lot more editorial leeway, uh, to make some references that you might have to Google. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I like having fun and, and kind of you know, making some off the wall, uh, similes or metaphors or whatever. And I mean, that, that's part of the fun of it. I mean, when you, when you've done this for 20 years, uh, sometimes you gotta invent a few things to, to keep it fun for yourself, you know, and, and, and uh, and so, yeah, hopefully the, the, they're not all references that go over people's heads or, or it doesn't seem like I'm trying to sound smart. I'm, I'm really just trying to – I like being clever. I mean, being clever is fun. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, it's a fine line, though, because you don't want to lay it on too thick. Uh, how are you doing with all the COVID protocols that have turned you into an inch-by-inch box on a computer screen all day? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, we could all complain, but we're all dealing with it, right? right. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate that I have a job where I, I wasn't furloughed, I wasn't laid off. Uh, you know, they've really done a great job taking care of us at the athletic. They asked us to take a very small pay cut and then re- reinstated it before they said they were going to. So, you know, I was able to work from home. Um, you know, this this is the first road trip now going to Arizona and LA that I'm on. Um, and, uh, you know, we're slowly getting a little more access and, and that's really when we can get in the clubhouse again. And when we can talk to players again, uh, one-on-one and in person, that that's, that's where I think most of us on the beat would say we do our best work. Um, it's just so hard to ask questions that are thoughtful, um, on, on the group zooms. And sometimes to be honest, you don't want to ask the question that, that you, you know, think might be a thoughtful question that could yield a thoughtful answer because, you know, you, you kind of want to don't want everyone to have to, to benefit from that. You you want that to be in your story, and so um, you know it, it's been uh, it's been great what the PR staff has done to be able to link us up with some players uh, over phone interviews and other things. But it's just you know it, it's it's not going to be the same level of coverage, the same sort of richness of coverage until we can start to get sort of the access back we had before, and and hopefully by next season, you know, we'll, we'll be able to restore some of that. Yeah. How how much more difficult is it to get the story now? Well, I think, you know, there's – I don't know. It, it depends on what you say the, the story is. I mean, yeah. um, you know, it's. It, I think it's super important to get a read for just the clubhouse mood. And sometimes you only can do that by walking in the clubhouse after a tough loss or after a win. And, and uh, you can get a sense for – or, you know, just – 
what the mood of the clubhouse is like, and that that can be important. That can um, that can be something that that you reflect in in, in your work. Um, you know, I, I love when I can do a story where it's kind of a survey type story where I just ask a couple players, you know, who was most influential with how you do this or that, or or you know, I remember one I did. It was like it was when the Olympics were going on maybe four or eight years ago. And I said, which of your teammates could, could make an Olympic team and, 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 and what would they medal in? And, and it was great. You know, hey, Angel Pagan could be a boxer, Hunter Pence. Oh, hey, he's got those long limbs. Maybe he could be like a rower, you know, and that's, I just go around the room and talk to everybody and ask them that question and see what, where they take me. That, that kind of story you just can't do right now. And, and, and uh, you know, hopefully we get back to, to uh, having that kind of access so that, you know, you can have those conversations that aren't necessarily for business. You know, a lot of times I would think that, okay, this is an extractive relationship. I'm going up to a player. I'm going to get a quote that I can use for my story for that day. And you realize if, if you, if you treat people like that all the time, they're never going to get past having any more than a transactional relationship with you. And to be able to tell the players stories and tell you who they are and what they're all about that, that's a lot of conversations you have with them that have nothing to do with, with anything you're writing down. And it's all about just getting to know them and getting them to trust you that, that uh, you know, if, if they give you some details from their personal life or their, their personal journey, um, that, that you're going to have kind of, you're, you're going to kind of get it, you know, and, and, and you could do, do that story justice and not, not take what they say out of context, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the building those relationships, you just can't do that right. uh, on a group Zoom. This is impossible. Uh, let's get into this 2021 team a little bit. And speaking of storylines, what do you think the most interesting storyline of the year so far is? Boy, um, gosh, I mean, overall, just how well the team's played. And, and, and the thing that, that stands out is the starting pitching. Um, I, I think the most, uh, I don't know, impressive thing is probably Buster Posey. If yeah. you have to pick one guy, uh, you've got a time in the game where, you know, Basically, no one's making contact. I mean, the batting averages are, are as low as they've been maybe ever. And you've got Buster hitting like 370, you know, when he hasn't played baseball in, in two years. And, uh, you know, he's doing this at the, in his, you know, close to his mid-30s and not his mid-20s. So um, it just shows you what kind of generational talent he really is and, and just how physically compromised he's been for, for several years. And for him to come back and, and be able to do the things he's doing this year in this context it's uh, that's really remarkable, and I think that's a great story. Uh, no doubt about it. And you mentioned the the strong start though for the team overall. Has this caught you off guard in any way, or or did you have a good vibe coming out of spring? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, I covered spring training from home, but didn't go to Arizona. So uh, aside from the few games that we got uh, broadcast back in the Bay Area, you're not really seeing how guys are pitching or how good their stuff is. You know, you can listen to what Gabe Kapler says and and. I think that he's someone who has, has been pretty forthright and pretty honest with his assessments of how players have looked. But, you know, managers will talk up players uh, who maybe uh, or maybe embellish a little bit. So you wonder, well, what's the stuff look like? And, you know, Alex Wood had his nerve ablation thing a little bit late in the spring. Aaron Sanchez really didn't face um, Cactus League hitters a whole lot. So he was on backfields and he just wondered, gosh, what's the state of this rotation going to be? And, um, and then they come out and they, they you know, Alex Wood only misses a couple starts and Kevin Gosman's picking up right where he left off. And, you know, Johnny Cueto uh, is coming in. He's, he's got some velo going and he's got some swagger going and, 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 uh, and, and really the only guy who 
who kind of struggled out of the gate was Logan Webb, who had the best spring of them all. So, uh, you know, the way that rotation performed, I, I think, really did surprise me uh, because uh, that, that was sort of something you were eyeing a little bit when the season started. Yeah, yeah. You, you think it's a playoff team? I think it definitely can be. Um, you know, we know that they've got a lot of games left against the Dodgers and Padres, and, and I think that, um, you know, they don't necessarily need to win the season series against those teams. They just need to not get steamrolled by them. And right. uh, they obviously did great against the Padres. They won five out of nine. Uh, not so great in the opening series against the Dodgers. But, you know, I think that uh, it's perfectly fine to go in and hope to split with the Dodgers and, and, and just, just don't get run over and, and because they've done a great job beating the Pirates and the Reds and the, you know, um, uh, the, uh, the Rockies and the teams that they look to be better than. And there's yeah. a lot of teams in the National League that you could sort of compare to the Giants and say, oh, the Giants are a better team than, than the Rockies. They're a better team than the Diamondbacks. And I think that's pretty clear from, from watching two months of baseball. So, And the, the really the impressive thing is that until they were swept by the Dodgers, they hadn't lost three games in a row all year. And, you know, you get through a whole year and, and you can say that. You're pretty much the 2001 Seattle Mariners. So, um, you know, you know that they're going to hit a little slide here or there. Every team does. But, yeah, given the way, the consistency, uh, as long as they can keep that rotation somewhat healthy and then effective, start to add some of these pieces back in, their depth will be tested, I'm sure, as every team is. But, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it's very possible that both wild cards could come out of the NL West. You know, they're also they're pieced together in such an interesting way as they try to preserve financial flexibility and preserve space for guys who are coming up through the system, and there there are a lot of interesting names. So where do you think this is headed? How does it evolve over the next couple of years? Well, it's a great question, and I think the you know I don't know if they said this was a, a spoken goal or not. I mean, they said they wanted to contend as long as possible. Um, and, and even you know missing the playoffs by one game last year, even though the the you know it was a sixty game season and they they finished under five hundred. Um, you know they said, well, there's only one thing you can do when you miss the playoffs by one game, and that's the goal is to make the playoffs next year. And, and uh, I think the the goal is just not to have a losing record because it's never been done in, in Giants history. They have five consecutive losing seasons, so I think that that's that's an important benchmark, and, and that'll show some growth uh, and show that there's a little more depth and, and the talent base is, is coming around. And where they start to add in uh, and find the star level players. Um, that's going to be really interesting, whether it's from the outside world or from trades, once they can build up their largesse of prospects a little bit more, um, or whether it's guys that they develop. And we know that there's going to be some patience involved uh, with that, but maybe not too much. I mean, guys do get yeah. to big ones quicker these days. So yeah. um, that, that's that's really the interesting thing because they, they've got the process down. They, they've got the infrastructure down. They've got a coaching staff and a front office that can – backfill a 40-man roster with interesting players, and they got a coaching staff that can coach up a lot of the guys they have to get the most out of out of them. But, you know, you still have to have the talent level that that's uh, elite. And, 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 you know, you just saw when they faced the Dodgers, they're not quite there yet. Okay, Bag, speed round to finish up. Most exciting player on the team is who? Ooh, I'll go with Mauricio Dubon because you never know okay. what he's going to do. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, who is the best interview? Best interview? Wow. Um, gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, I, you know, I like talking to Brandon Crawford. I always learn something new when I talk to him. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's it's easy to talk to him because I've known him for so long. So I'm sure there's probably some more glib people in that room, but but I'll, I'll, I'll go with Crawford. 
which minor league player is most likely to be a star five years from now? Mm, mm. Marco Luciano is the easy guess. Right. But I, I'm really excited by Luis Matos. This guy's got some huh. crazy bat speed. Uh, yeah, we're starting to get that answer a little bit more. Uh, next one. Of all the pitches that current giant pitchers throw, which is the most devastating? Uh, Tyler Rogers, whatever it is, ball that hits left-handed hitters in the face. I mean, it, it, it rises on its way to the plate. He's finding physics. It, it, it's awesome. Yeah, which is supposedly science says it's not possible, but if we've ever seen a pitch that defies it, maybe that's it. Um, okay, last one. What Jeopardy question would you create if I said the answer is this giant is the most impressive giant since 2004? Mm, the most impressive giant since 2000. So I'm supposed to answer that? or, or Well, you have to phrase it in the, in the form of a question, though, please. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I got to go, who is Barry Bonds? I mean, okay. I covered a season. And I, I didn't cover him when he hit 73 home runs, but I, uh, I did cover him in 2004 when he walked 220 times or whatever. Uh, and, and that's a major league record. And, and just you look at what he did, you know, even in that season, and it's just mind-boggling. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. So I don't think we're going to see that again. Thanks so much for listening to Inside Giant Moments, presented by T-Mobile. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review, and share this episode with your friends and family. To make sure you never miss these exclusive conversations each week, subscribe and follow the Inside Giant Moments podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.